Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Willcast, the podcast with the potentially most creative name in the world. Thank you for tuning in, <laughs> subscribing, commenting, all that good stuff. I appreciate it as always. And speaking of commenting, today's viewer question is, what is your favorite animated show? Today, I am honored to be joined by Matthew Fryer, a.k.a. Tip Tot. How you doing, Matt? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. How are yeah, you doing? I, I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to talk to you. Do you go by Matthew or Matt? Oh, just Matt. Just nah, Matt. Matthew's far too posh. Okay, all right. So, Matt. Yeah, Matt, <laughs> I um, I believe I found your channel, Tip Tot, about three years ago when I... So, I've always mm -hmm. had, like, this... um goal or more of like a dream to have my own animated show one day and so about three years ago I believe I decided to start looking into how animation works and sort of the principles of animation and that's that's when I found your channel and I believe the first videos that I saw of yours was your tutorial series on Adobe Animate with the the small little monster thing that bobs it bobs yeah. its head and swallows <laughs> a weird projectile of That's some sort. That's a classic. Yeah. That's a classic, yeah. And I realized rather quickly that I was um or you you were rather you're really good at teaching um these things which I really appreciated and that's when when I kind of started to watch more of you and um I, I'm kind of wondering right off the bat what I wanted to wanted to know is have you always been fascinated and interested in animation and art? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, it all got started probably a lot like a lot of 90s kids actually um, with the birth and sudden flourishing of Newgrounds um, mm. in the early 90s. Uh, obviously, you know, guys like Cluade and Ego Raptor and people like that um, this kind of boom of web animators because of programs like Flash, Macromedia Flash it was called back then, and things like that, just opening up the possibility of animation to any kid with a computer, mm -hmm. essentially. Um, and that's what really sort of birthed my love of animation. But obviously as a kid as well, I grew up watching, you know, Ren and Stimpy, Fairly Odd Parents, shows like that. Um, and I was always fascinated by how these things were made and the amount of time and effort it, it took to make them uh, especially things like revolutionary things like looney tunes you know mm. and shows like that which would just uh, change the way people animated forever moving away from this kind of disney uh trying to achieve perfection and realism towards proper cartoons you know defying mm. reality as opposed to adhering to it um so that and the uh, online web-based stuff, uh, particularly Yotam Peril and Eager Raptor, are really where I got started in the world of animation. But I didn't take it seriously as a creator until a good few years after that. Um, okay. Like every kid with a computer, I'd just mess around in Flash and make stick fight animations yeah. and all <laughs> this sort of stuff. Um, but uh, it wasn't until I created TipTut really that I started to take animation seriously as a potential way to make money and mm. you know be a job. And when did you start your YouTube channel? Uh, so it was July the 1st in 2016. Um, okay. So, so it's a specific it's, date. It's actually fairly recent then. It's like you hear about yeah, these so YouTubers who go for like 10 old. years. Yeah, six years. Yeah. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. So I was obviously a consumer of YouTube before that, especially the education side of it. Um, but I never really dabbled in creating until TipTut. 
Uh, and it actually started as a way to basically be a, a reference for myself because I'm not I'm not only an animator, I'm, I'm mostly a freelance designer. Okay. Uh, and animation was always a passion, but never quite a job, you know, mm. uh, until recently, of course. Um, so I, I used it as a reference material. I'd, I'd forget how to do things, so I'd record myself doing it mm. and put it up on YouTube to remind myself how to do it. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, I might as well go the whole hog and give this thing a go, you know. So it was on July the 1st, 2016, I uploaded my first video. And um, it's been a steadily growing thing since then. I think education especially is is difficult to grow quickly on YouTube unless you hit a very specific market. Um, a great example is Ben Marriott, who's just exploded in the MoGraph community uh, in the past couple of years because he's fantastically skilled, hits his exact market, and just grew so fast from there. Whereas TipTuck covers a wide range of things from design through to animation, print design, motion graphics. So the audience is wider and therefore less continuously engaged, which mm. of course youtube okay. punishes you for <laughs> yeah that is true yeah but you are you are able to support yourself off of what you're doing now yeah definitely so it took a good few years um it was a side hustle for a while i worked full-time as an animator doing it as a um sorry excuse me i'll say that again i worked full-time as a graphic designer for uh, several years the first five years actually of tip tut um it was a side project and it was only last year that I took it full time. And now I do a bit of freelance design um, and a bit of YouTube. And between the two, I, you know, I can pay my bills and put food on the table and keep okay. my wife and animals happy. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. I love the fact that today you can, you, you have the possibility to, well, if you work hard enough and you're talented, of course, to support yourself off of your passion, that's, incredible that's awesome absolutely i mean youtube wasn't a job when i was a kid you know mm. like people ask me oh did you always want to do this and i'd say this wasn't a thing when i was no. young you know <laughs> you don't understand you? uh i'm 30 or 29 so okay. um obviously youtube existed um but it wasn't monetized when i was using it as a kid you know mm. um and things like this um and if it was monetized then certainly education content wasn't making a lot of money mm. in fact animation was making a lot of money when i was a teen uh, until they changed to the algorithm based youtube system you know yeah. uh, which kind of killed all the animators a few years ago if you remember yeah. um but yeah you know it wasn't a kid when i was a kid i wanted to grow up and be a designer an animator you know i'd never mm. imagined that i'd become a youtube educator with mm. a helping of animation thrown in have you done any um animation for any mainstream projects like any actual in quotations real animation <laughs> movies uh in terms of you know television and film no not really um most of my stuff is web-based i have done a few commission projects for the game grumps mm. recently which is a large channel on youtube believe it or not about five million six million subs um and they do animated collabs and clips from their let's play show and so uh and i've had animated clients um, for adverts for television. So oh, know, okay. run adverts and things like that. But I've never worked on an official animation show. Like I said, I came up actually doing design. Mm. Um, so I've done a lot of design work that's out there in the real world. But uh, the animation was something that I always enjoyed and loved doing. And I've managed to just now make it a money earning thing. You know, So a lot of the time it was just a passion rather than 
a employment mm. if that makes sense yeah um and now i've managed to turn it around to actually start making a bit of money on it and start making some products that people might one day recognize yeah that's awesome i love that what's your favorite animated show ah <laughs> <sighs> uh, it's a toss-up uh, if you're talking about the television um it would probably have to be early looney tunes or red and stimpy i love i absolutely love the the gross out 90s 80s kind of um style of animation you know where they completely break the laws of physics and yeah they have the hyper detailed close-up shots and you know the the characters morph and twist and you know on every frame there's no such thing as a character model so that kind of animation yeah. um but the ones i i grew up watching obviously ren and stimpy was a bit before my time i, I picked it up when it was on reruns but I, I came up watching things like fairly odd parents and stuff mm. like that which is more as you know like cut out animation as opposed to frame by frame classic mm. stuff um dexter's laboratory and all that sort of thing but if i had to pick one that was like an absolute favorite it would probably be ren and stimpy or looney tunes okay cool yeah i've I'm also fascinated about how many, because when you say animation, it's such a broad, uh, there's mm. it's such a broad spectrum because there are so many different types of animation, like 2D, 3D, and then in 2D, even more different uh, styles of animation, right? Yeah. Like, um, I was going to say my favorite animated show is South Park, which is... South Park, yeah, it's another fantastic one. Very, very different um, animation style. There's not, as far as I'm aware... Well, not... you even look at... No, go on, carry on. Uh, I was just saying, yeah, there's not a whole lot of animations like South Park, as far as I'm aware. Mm. I mean, you look at early South Park and you look at current day South Park, and I'd say that those are even two completely different mm, styles of yes. animation. Yeah, I agree uh, completely. So even, yeah. even in a in and of itself it's evolved to a point where it's you know it isn't what it was when it started um but you look at you know there's a lot of history to animation and how it evolved and where it came about but so much of it is wrapped up in the culture as well you know mm -hmm. you look at something like uh, cowboy bebop or other really famous animes and you compare it to the other kind of animation that's available in the west and like you say the same medium it's pictures moving by so fast that they look like they're moving mm. but there's so many different techniques and styles that it really is probably one of the most creative outlets for artists yeah, yeah I, I would probably agree have you um have you delved into 3d animation because i know you do a lot of 2d mm. I, mo I mainly focus on 2d uh, i have a little bit of 3d in my workflow in that uh, i am terrible at drawing perspective so uh, a lot of the times if i need to create a complicated background i'll do some basic 3d modeling um to get what is essentially the stage ready mm. and then i can draw on top of that um in 2d you know like in in any 2d software photoshop or animate or something uh and then you kind of you cheat your way to a proper perspective mm. um That's in terms smart, of 3d though. you know character rigging animating oh thanks yeah i, I didn't come up with the idea <laughs> i think i think uh, i got it from Olaf Storm, you might have heard of a YouTube channel called Olaf Storm. Uh, he does incredible work in Cinema 4D and Photoshop for his animations. Um, so check him out. That's another shout out there. Um, but uh, yeah, 3D rigging and, and character animation, things like that, never appealed to me as much mm. because I always liked the art of drawing. But it's definitely within its own skill set and incredibly difficult. But all of the principles that you learn for any type of animation are the same regardless of 
the type of animation you're doing. You know, it's all about the correct timing and weight and squash and stretch and all these other principles that we know, regardless of, you know, whether you're doing a 3D model or claymation or 2D cutout or frame by frame or whatever, it doesn't matter. It's all the same principles. Mm. Is there a, do you have a favorite style of animation that you like to do? Um, I do. Uh, I like gross out animation you know like the ren and stimpy style things where you really push the the boundaries of realism um you know so characters with extreme facial expressions and mouths that stretch off when they say ooh, and it like basically leaves their face and big wild eyes and you know spit flying everywhere excuse me spit flying everywhere and all these other things like this um that's the kind of animation i, I love doing uh, the animation I mostly do is a bit more reserved, obviously, because mm. a lot of it's client work and things like that. But when I get to do something for myself or something for, you know, the Game Grumps, um, they're so flexible in what you can do and what you can achieve with mm. this kind of uh, character modelless style of animation is, is fantastically. It allows you to express yourself basically completely in any way imaginable. Yeah. 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 That's another thing about animation right like the possibilities of what you can do is is much more endless than for example real life movies right mm. yeah that's another well thing. if you can think it you can you can animate it yeah right? that's, the that's right that's right yeah that's that's what that's what fascinates me about animation as well you can literally do whatever you want I think a lot more, a lot of my favorite types of animation are the, the types that lean into that philosophy. You know, mm. don't, uh, I can't remember who it was that said it. It was probably one of um, the famous Looney Tunes guys or something. But it was um, with animation, don't do what life can do, do what life can't mm. do. Ah, that's interesting. That's a good quote. You know, uh, I'll try and remember who said it. Maybe I'll look it up afterwards, but <laughs> I don't want to misquote somebody. No. Yeah, that's a good quote, though. So can you walk me through, like, what process do you go through when making an animation? Because obviously it's a long process. Mm. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there are no shortcuts, none that work anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of a multi-stage process, isn't it? Um, if we take, you know a client project versus a personal project mm. so um, a client will obviously usually come to you with a script and an idea of what they want so that's probably not the most interesting thing to talk about but if you're if you're looking at a personal project or a project that you have more creative control over um, the first thing I try and do is I try and think of the best way to visualize what the story or the joke is you know so um, uh, the, the, um, I've got a little idea I'm working on at the moment about, did you ever have these, I don't know if you had them in America, these toys that were kids and they're basically like a grow your own dinosaur or grow your own alien. And it was a little tiny dinosaur and you put it in water and it would mm, get yeah. bigger. Yeah. Right? Well, I'm, I'm not from so America, idea, but I do have, we do have them here. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, where are you from? I'm from Denmark. Oh, nice. Sorry. It's, I can't, I'm no, terrible it's with good. That. It's good. <laughs> It's good. <laughs> I'll, I'll read you that then. Yep. I don't know if you've had them in Denmark, but we, in the UK, we had these yeah, grow your own dinosaur kits. Yeah. Yeah. Where, you know, you, you take a tiny dinosaur and you chuck it in some water and it would grow. Mm, right. Yeah. So I've got this idea of a kid. He's playing in the bath. He, he pops the grow your own dinosaur in the bath water and it explodes to the life, the size of a real life dinosaur and it smashes out of his house. Right. Mm. So that's the idea that I've got for a stupid little 10, 15 second animation. Okay. So what I usually do is I'd put together like a base storyboard, you know, thinking about the key 
um, elements, well, what are the technically the keys of the story, right? What visuals are going to tell the story? Well, we need a kid in the bath. We need a close-up of the toy to show what it is. We need it exploding. We need his house being destroyed. And then at the end, maybe we have the kid riding the dinosaur, right? That's cool. So I'll put together like a storyboard that, that puts those key shots into perspective. Mm. And then I'll use those to get the timing down. So I'll say, all right, how long is it actually going to take me to tell this story? You okay. know, I might need a few seconds for here, a few seconds for that. Maybe when the the dinosaur is about to fall into the water, we go into slow mo, and it's like, you know, and it's fading like dramatically through the shot. So that might be ten seconds, you know, but it's not actually a lot of animation. So I try and get down, you know, what shots I think I'm going to need, how long I think it's going to take me, whether or not I can be bothered to do it by the time I'm halfway through the project, you know. and I'll put down like a base storyboard from that. And then from there, it's a really simple process of going out and finding the right sound effects and recording the voiceover and putting together essentially like a rough animatic. Mm. Um, but for myself, for my own projects, I prefer to just dive right in from there. My animatics are pretty terrible <laughs> because I don't have anyone to answer to, no. right? Like, except for myself. On a client's project, I would definitely make sure that my animatic was really solid mm. before I started, you know. So none of the detailed animation is there, but it gets the broad strokes down and the timing right so that, the, that you and the client can tweak it without sinking too much bloody work into the thing. Okay. Um, and then once that's all down, I usually then just take it shot by shot. I'll divide up the project into a bunch of different shots and go from there. And obviously, at some point, there's a stage where you do a little bit of character design and you do a little bit of background work and things like that. Again, for a personal project, I like to keep it loose and fun because I can do it on my live streams with my fans mm, and you yeah. know, you can have a bit of back and forth. And for a client project, obviously, you try and make it what the client wants. Um, so somewhere between the animatic and actually beginning the animation, I'll sit down and I'll really tie down my character from different angles and shots and you know expressions so that I've got a reference sheet so that when I come across a difficult shot that I don't know how to animate, I can go back to my reference sheet and go, okay, well, I decided I liked it like this when he's screaming or, or this when he's jumping or whatever, right? And then that helps you, should you hit any little roadblocks, essentially, you can kind of blast past them because you've mm. got this reference sheet that you made and uh-huh. when you were happy and you weren't miserable from animating for 30 hours, yeah. you know, <laughs> you've, you've got this thing that uh, you can go back to and go, right, I was obviously happy with that when I thought of the project and tied this character down. So let's use that as the base for this shot or expression or, or motion or whatever. Mm. And then that kind of allows you to to force yourself to get through the slow hours because any animator knows that by the time you finish a project, you hate what you've done at the start. Yeah. So so if you can if you can alleviate a little bit of that by planning out in the beginning, then that does certainly help. Okay, that's um, and usually once I've done animating, I'll probably dump it into After Effects and add a few um, simple effects. Because I animate in Adobe Animate mostly, mm. there's no real like brushes or anything like that. We all know how crap Adobe Animate is, but I've been using it since it was Macromedia Flash, and I'm too much of an old stubborn git <laughs> to learn anything new, so I'm stuck with it. Um, so I'll usually dump it into After Effects, and I'll use little tricks like turbulent displays and adding noise to make my line work a little bit more crunchy and realistic and things like that. Um, I'll use that to tweak the colors and things, and then I'll just call it a day and export it. Obviously, I don't do any of that step if it's a client project mm. until they've signed off the basic thing, mm. uh, and then that, that all course. comes at the end. But for a personal project, yeah, I, I spend probably as much time tweaking and playing at the end that I do actually animating the damn thing. Yeah, so, yeah That's I, the general process. There's I know a storyboard, that. there's an animatic, and then you tie it down. Yeah, I definitely can relate to that tweaking process from 
for me making TikTok videos or YouTube videos. Like that's that's what I spend a lot of time on as well. It's just to try to get that finished product just perfect and mm. perfectly polished, right? How long does it take to make? Well, you'll it? always you'll always notice the mistake once you've hit export. You know, yeah. you, you never notice it before. So the longer you sit there, the the less chance there is of that actually happening. Yeah, that's true. How long does it take you to make uh, an animation? Obviously, it depends on the different animations. Yeah, of course, it it depends on you know how many characters are in the shot, what the shot is, and that sort mm. of thing. Um, on average, I say I I probably punish myself more than I should <laughs> by pretty much refusing to do tweens. Um, oh, yeah, you know, I've like noticed that actually. Tweens mm. or motion tweens, because uh, I, I just generally don't like the way they look. Um, okay. For certain frames, if I just need a little bit of bounce on the character, or if I'm running short on time, or if the pose just needs to settle a little bit, then I'll take my drawing and I'll, you know, I'll just do like a little skew or something so I can settle him into it. Mm. But firstly, I just love drawing and I love frame by frame. I think there's nothing that can replace it or match it. But thirdly, I'm not actually a good artist when it comes to drawing because I came up doing graphic design. I, I find it really hard to draw stuff, right? Mm. With correct perspective and blah, blah, blah. So anytime that I am drawing, I'm learning to be a better artist. So the more drawing I do and the less cheating I do, the better I'm going to be next time. So this is what I tell myself when I'm okay. struggling. It's like, this is me kind of like, you know, fording the river and making myself better. Whereas if I relied on tweens and cheats and things that, yeah, I know work, but I also know I'm not going to be super happy with. Unfortunately, what all this means is it takes a bloody long time to get anything done. So uh, on average, if it's say one character, I can usually animate about three or four seconds in a day. Okay. Um, and that's if like a complicated bit of lip sync, you know, I could get three or four seconds done. If it's like a pretty simple motion, you know, um, just a character gesturing or, you know, something simple like that. I can get loads more done in eight or nine mm -hmm. seconds in a day's work. Um, I live stream every Friday for about two hours. And whilst I'm chatting with my fans and all that sort of stuff, I usually get about two or three seconds done. Okay. You know, so it really depends on the concept, yeah. on the context. But um, yeah, unfortunately, frame by frame is slow and I don't like the way tweens look. So no. I do for, mostly for frame the by people, frame. Uh, for the people who don't know, can you explain uh, frame by frame versus tweening? Yeah, sure. So like a, a brief concept would be uh, if you think about pretty much any Disney film or any Looney Tunes animation, um, frame by frame would be you draw the first picture and then you draw, um, you know, well, technically well, I can get into the, all the details if you want to talk about pose to pose or straight ahead frame by frame. But essentially what it is, is if you have a second of footage, then you have drawn 12 pictures to fill that second of footage. You know, mm. the character moves through 12 different poses to get from point A to point B, and you have to draw each of those 12 poses. Whereas with tweening, um, you can draw the first pose and the second pose, and then you can tell the computer to do its best to figure out what goes in between them, hence why it's called tweening, right, mm. in between. Um, for simple stuff, this works fine. For any kind of complicated movement, it's just not going to work. Mm. Um, but if you have like the, the cutout style of animation, you know, where you're not drawing something near every frame, but you've you've cut your character into little pieces and you're moving those pieces around, uh, like you see in a lot of shows these days, um, like what's a good example? You know, Adventure Time uses this sort of thing. Archer, if you want a more mature um, audience, uses cutout animation. Uh, then then tweening works fine because the computer can figure out you're taking this one drawing and you're just moving it about 
but to me you lose a lot of the magic that makes animation real you know makes it feel so unique mm. um, when you use tweening and whereas if you use frame by frame yeah you hate yourself by the end of it because you've tried <laughs> to draw this hand 50 times and you haven't gotten it right but when you do oh what yeah i can you imagine know? yeah do you ever get uh, burnt out from animation because it's oh yes oh yes the, the it's easy to give this advice right and it's so much harder to follow it but stopping is is super important you know have making sure you're well rested and, and well fed and you know you're drinking enough water and you're, you're taking walks away from your computer and all this sort of stuff it all contributes because not only do you burn out but animating is such a it uses both sides of your brain it's such an analytical process because you have to understand how these things move and how they would move and mm. how their forms would change as they move. But it's also an incredibly creative process because you're you're drawing art, basically. Mm. And if, like me, if you struggle, struggle to draw, then you're going to struggle to draw things moving mm. <laughs> even more. So it's so easy to burn out. And the, the, the best way I can say to avoid burnout is to make sure you're taking enough breaks and to, you know, get away from the computer or your desk for a while and go for a walk. If you've got a dog, go walk the dog, you know. Mm. But the second most important thing is make sure you love what you're animating. This is why I animate in the style that I want to, because if you're having fun, then you're going to burn out less. And not only that, but your work's going to be better. Yeah. There's no worse work than work that you don't care for when you start. No. You know? I think it is also very clear to see in your work that it is really something you're passionate about. Mm. Well, I hope so, because <laughs> I am. Yeah. I, I, I try my best to make sure that everything I create, even, even down to weekly YouTube videos, right? If I don't think an idea is worth it, I don't do the mm. video, which is absolutely come back to bite me in the ass in terms of YouTube's algorithm and pushing content and all yeah. of this, but I don't want to make content that I don't think is useful. No. So I won't redo the same video like all these other creators do a thousand bloody times just mm. because, you know. But at the same time, if I've improved and I think I can say in a better way or, or explain in more detail a certain concept, then I will revisit. But um, yeah, you have to be passionate about your, what you're doing because if you're not, that's going to come across. And you're, if you're not passionate, then why should your audience be passionate? Mm, yeah. If you don't care, that's why true. should your audience care? Yeah, yeah it's important yeah, to, to be authentic. And uh, I think, I think, I think a... it's more important than people realize as well to be authentic. Yeah. I think not even from a success point of view, but just from a fucking happiness point of view. <laughs> I know? agree. If you're not authentic, you're going to be miserable at some point. It's just yeah. not going to work. It's not sustainable. You know. I talked a little bit about this in my... Uh, I had a solo podcast. That was the first episode of Willcast here <laughs> about how important it is to be yourself. And yet it is, for some reason, to a lot of people, including myself, it is one of the hardest things to do, to be yourself. But yet it is so important. Yeah. I think there's a lot... I've actually done a lot of soul searching like most people in the world the past couple of years because we've had to, right? We've yeah. been stuck with ourselves for a lot longer than we usually are. But I think that's that's come to help people realize a certain truth, which is that you, you spend a lot of your life, me included, I've only been working for myself full time for about a year now. You spend a lot of your life doing stuff for other people. And to do that, you need to, you know, because you need to, you need to pay your mortgage, you need to eat, you know, fuck capitalism like every man mm. in the world <laughs> hates it. And I do too, but you know, we're stuck in it. Um, so like you need to be 
a certain type of person. You need to pretend to be a certain type of person in order to fulfill the role that somebody else wants of you. Yeah. You know, like I used to work at BHS, which is like a cafe, you know, when I was younger in England, um, run by one of the most evil men imaginable, Philip Green. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I don't and I hated it, right? But whenever I worked there, I had to serve people with a smile and all of this, mm. right? And so many people in the world spend their entire lives doing that because they have to, that they don't really know who they are because they have to spend so long being somebody else. And that's what I had to do for a long time as well, you know, pretending I was excited about work that I wasn't excited about, you know, forcing myself to go into an office when I didn't want to see other people. And that's the least of it. I've had a pretty cushy life compared to some people's, you know, horrible experiences. But that's what it comes down to. You're not allowed to be yourself because mm. most of the time being yourself isn't profitable to somebody else. Yeah. What people have realized in the last couple of years is that, you know, now there is a little bit of a chance to be yourself more. There is a little bit of a chance to be more authentic and more genuine. And I think hopefully what that means is the, the world kind of has to respond to that a little bit and reward that kind of behavior a bit more. Yeah. But that was a massive tangent. So, <laughs> no, no, it's good. I just, it's, um, I think the far majority of people in this world hate their jobs because of that fact. Which is terrible, right? Yeah. Like, Do you think like that's what, ever going to change? I, I'm, if it was, I mean, ever the pessimist, right? Like, I'm English, so I like to <laughs> complain, but, um, <laughs> I think it can. I think it has the chance to. And if there ever is a time in the history of the world, then it's now, right? You know, technology has advanced to a point now where you can do pretty much any job from anywhere. Yeah. And the only reason that you don't is that the people that are in charge and own all of the companies at the moment are from the previous generation where this ideology of bums on seats and be seen to be working is this idea of quality, which is, of course, not the case. Um, but as we transition away from that generation being the driving force in the workplace, I think there is this opportunity for the workplace in general worldwide to become a bit more genuine, especially if you're talking about like, you know, white collar office scenarios and things like that. Mm. Obviously, you know, if you're building cars or whatever, then you can't do that from home. You've got to do that in the warehouse. Right. Mm. <laughs> but you know, from like the creative industry and all this sort of thing, there is a, there is the chance to be a lot more flexible. But with that also comes the downside of this idea that the work-life balance is going to shift you know if you're working from home then your home is your office and you need to learn how to separate your work from your home because otherwise your boss will be calling you because oh you know it's eight o'clock but you're at home and you haven't traveled today so whatever you can do a bit of extra and this and the other you know so there is definitely the chance for people to there's a lot more work out there and there's a lot more flexibility in the work that is available in terms of you know positioning of work you know remotely or in the office or type of work because there's all these new fields being developed daily you know like we like we said five years ago youtuber you know was like a new job that nobody understood and now kids are growing up and saying what do you want to be when you grow up and you say i want to be a youtuber you know so imagine what it's going to be like in another five years so we're at the cusp of like a revolution if only we could just take hold of it you know if that makes sense yeah yeah that's really interesting have you heard, uh, this is slightly off topic, but uh, have you heard that Facebook changed their name to Meta? Yes, the parent company, yeah. Yeah. I imagine that was mainly a marketing uh, trick to try and get a bit, a bit of brand perception, you know? It could be. But there's this idea of they're evolving into this virtual workspace, yeah. you know, this, this, this virtual world 
um, where both socializing and work and and play is all done through a singular platform, which is such a dangerous concept, first of it all. It really is, yeah. Um, but also, definitely the way the world's going to be going, you know, personally, I don't think virtual reality is going to take hold as much as augmented reality is going to take hold. Mm. Um, this because purely because, like, from a logistical standpoint, right? Like people will say, yeah, we're going to get cybernetic arms and stuff like mm. that, and it's going to be like cyberpunk, and it's going to be awesome. And the reality of it is, you'll you'll buy your your Apple you know cybernetic arm and it won't interface with your windows pc and the firmware will be broken (laughs) and you'll have to plug a usb in to update the firmware on your your robo hand you know and all this crap right so like i think augmented reality is going to develop a lot faster and more sustainably than virtual reality or integrated tech or anything like this is going to but it's definitely something you have to consider because, you know, where's the future of design? Where's the future of animation? Where's the future of film if everything's virtual? You know, if you're going to a virtual cinema or you're going to a virtual art gallery or even just a virtual place to hang out, yeah, you know, the skills that we have as designers and animators are going to have to adapt. Like, it's like when computers came along and graphic designers spent 10 years figuring out what keyboard buttons to press to do certain mm. things before they actually learn how to make beautiful designs on a computer. It's just the next step in wherever technology is going to take us. Yeah. Um, and you're either, unfortunately, going to adapt to it or you're not. But it's happened before. It'll happen again. Every time that somebody invents something new, the world changes and people get left behind and some people get swept up in it. Yeah, it's super fascinating. I've always thought that, like, with virtual reality, I think with podcasts, it's going to be, like, people are actually going to join in on the conversation, even though it's it may be pre-recorded somehow. Mm. Well, this idea of interactivity is, is is so key to the way people consume media these days. Even if you just look at Twitch and things like this, right? Even look at me on, on YouTube. I release a video and people comment below it and I can respond to them helping them out with their issues. That wasn't possible when mm. we first started teaching, you know? So now it's going to be, I'll, re- I'll record a video and I can release it as a premiere, which is now a live stream video and I can chat to people, you know? It'll be like that, but in a virtual reality, and we'll all have avatars that we can interact with and just sort of engage on that more personal level. Uh, that's the way I see it going. Whether or not I'm going to be a fan of that by the time it happens, because I'll be a grumpy old man, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, who do, knows where the world will go. Do you have any thoughts on NFTs? I mean, I, I was actually kind of thinking about this because mm-hmm. uh, there are also like NFT animations yeah i don't i don't think i'm a fan of no nfts in general if i'm perfectly honest um i mean putting aside the environmental issues because there's so many things killing the world why are you going to highlight you know one Mm. one in particular Uh, i think i think the very concept of an nft aligns too much with the very concept of, of of fine art in 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 my opinion i.e this idea of there is a, a network, a close to network of incredibly rich people that determine mm. what is and isn't art, you know? So I'm a very rich man that owns a business and I don't want to pay my taxes. So I'm going to commission mm. an artist to make a painting for me. And I'll take that painting to my art recruit, um, my art review friend, yeah. and he'll say it's worth six million quid. 
and I go, oh, I'll donate that painting to a museum mm. and I can write off six million quid from my taxes, you know? Now you're telling me that the guy that painted that painting and the guy that is on the street painting his paintings cared equally about their art, but one was better and one was worse, you know? And this idea of NFTs where you, you own the official copy of a, a digital thing, it's like, but you don't. You know, you're buying the certificate so that you can fund somebody's Bitcoin wallet so that they can avoid paying more taxes. And But that's not all of it. No, no, no. I'm a very cynical person when it comes <laughs> to this kind of tech, though. I could be completely wrong. And if I am and it blows up and it becomes a legitimate way for artists to, you know, monetize and and and, and get gain a livelihood from their artwork, then that's fantastic. I'm all for it. Mm. But what I've seen at the moment doesn't support that so much because people are stealing artwork, putting it on an NFT platform and claiming it's theirs. Mm, that's true. So if you can't even stop that from happening, how can you say that there is a, a license that says this is the official version of this artwork? You yeah. can't even stop pirated artwork getting onto your platforms. You know, Like I said, I'm all for new ideas. I just like to see a little bit of experience before I dive in myself. You know? Yeah. I had uh, a, a guy called The Stoned Being on the podcast who's a smaller NFT mm -hmm. creator. And we talked a little bit about this uh, copyright issue with NFTs because what can you well, do Well, like with about any emerging it? tech, there's going to be teething issues, right? Like, but from my point of view, like, I don't see how it can be solved. Like, you can't. No, I can that's post it. something. I can post something onto my Instagram and I own it, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't. First of all, Facebook owns it, or mm. Meta now, I suppose, yeah. owns it. Um, but even if I license that straight away as an NFT, then somebody else could screenshot it and pop it up on another NFT store and say, this is the original. And mm. it might filter through the security checks that they've got and things like that. Now, is this a reason not to support NFTs and not to, you know, just to immediately go, nah, they're no good? Of course not. No, they might be fantastic. And hopefully, if it means that, like I said, more artists can make a living off their artwork, then that's fantastic. Mm. But myself, personally, I'm not willing to get involved until some of these teething issues are worked out. And probably by the time that's happened, the, the, the boat will have sailed and I'll have yeah. missed it, you know? I, I personally um, think but hey, are these people are that can stay. keep up great for them, mm. you know, you think they're here to stay. I think they're here to stay because also with what we just talked about virtual reality, I think NFTs are mm. going to be because they're not just um, not just art pieces. They're also, you know, you see them in video games as well. They're they're items in video games as well. And in virtual reality, there'll be. The same as a, a hat that I have on my head right now. There'll be literal. It's all about social standing, right? You know, like you see a, a guy in Apex who's got a cool skin. Mm. You know, for him it was worth paying that money for a cool skin. Yeah. You know, and now it'll be well. This is an NFT certified virtual reality hat that I'm wearing, like yeah. you say. And within certain circles and certain communities, that will mean enough to give it value, mm. and that's totally fine because everything is fake nothing has value yeah you, know, just you think you go down to the shop and you you buy a sandwich with your five pound note your five pound note doesn't have value it only has value because you pretend it does yeah that's true so the concept of them i'm all for mm. you know i'm just too scared to get involved yeah <laughs> it is there is a lot of risk involved in it for sure especially all the different cryptocurrencies and stuff it's it's confusing and you got to coin and yeah. coin and <laughs> there's so much to whatever it. It makes coin. my brain hurt <laughs> Yeah, I mean, 
I'll be the first to admit that I am not particularly au fait in the world of NFTs and Bitcoin mm. and things like that. And perhaps that's where my opinion stems from. You know, I'm not one to say that I know everything. I am ignorant on a lot of things and that's fine. Mm. You know, you can't know everything all the time. But um, hey, if people can make a living off of it and for most people it works, then great. You know, yeah. no system in the world is perfect. There's always going to be people that are going to gain any system like the fine art industry. You know, mm. I don't think any of the artists in the fine art industry willingly participate in this tax evasion scheme that the hyper rich have but the hyper rich take advantage of it in order to avoid their taxes yeah. does that mean people should stop making art of course not mm. you know so it's one of these things isn't it someone's always going to be able to take advantage and if 90 percent of the time people can benefit from it great you know yeah it's a tricky world Matt. the more the merrier <laughs> It definitely is. It definitely is. And I'm already slowing down, so <laughs> I'm not sure how long I'll be able to keep up. All right, man. I think I'll just keep making stupid animations and leave it at that. I think your animations are great, and I really appreciate you coming on here. I had a blast talking to you. Yeah, absolutely. I had a great time. All right. For the listeners uh, out there, thank you for listening, subscribing, and commenting, all that good stuff. Again, today's viewer question is, what is your favorite animated show? And uh, before we leave, Matt, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, you can subscribe to me on YouTube. It's forward slash TipTut. And on all the social medias, it's at TipTutZone. Um, but also, you know, I want to plug some of the other stuff that I've mentioned. If any young viewers are listening, don't know what Ren and Stimpy or Looney Tunes is or Olaf Storm or Yotan Peril or Ego Raptor, you know, pop a comment in, in the comments below and I'm sure some people will be able to link you to the right stuff. But I, all I want to say is just, you know, if you're a creator, just keep creating. If you're a fan, keep supporting your creators. And, you know, all of us artists have got to stick together. So mm. as much as I want to plug my stuff, we should all just celebrate each other as we're getting along in this mad world of NFTs and lockdowns. <laughs> I love it. Thanks, Matt, for coming on once again. And thanks for the listeners. Anytime. My absolute pleasure. All right. Peace.